Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. This week we are doing the quick game, and joining me is Lori Fitzpatrick of TD Wire. Lori, welcome back. Oh, thank you so much for having me back, Matt. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And if you haven't seen Lori and I do work together, we did some RSP film rooms in the past. Um, Lori breaks down film at TD Wire. She's got an article coming out on seven rookie cornerbacks and some of the strengths and weaknesses that she's seen during the preseason um, should be excellent as always. And, you know, Lori is, I, I like, I, I would almost like joke that Lori, you're like my sister in film here. You know, one of the people that does film breakdowns and, and we're going to just talk about the NFL season, you know, probably every other week and, and, yeah. and talk about what we see and, and, and what we think about that. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited. And, Hey, you can be my brother from another mother. Right? There we go. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so let's just get this thing rolling. Who are one to two? What are one to one or two offenses that excite you this year, and why is that? So, one of the first offenses I think of uh, is definitely the Minnesota Vikings. So, when we think about the Minnesota Vikings, it's it's kind of like you know, last year it was. In the, in the years prior, it's always been running back focused in in an offensive like time within the NFL where it's all skill set minded, where wide receivers kind of take over. Um, but the Vikings were still stuck in that fullback era, right? They, they still continue to run the ball. And I mean, Dalvin Cook is amazing, but finally they have a passing minded, like a passing first. Uh, minded head coach in Kevin O'Connell. So I'm really excited to see how Justin Jefferson is going to finally be utilized in, in the ways that he should be. Um, I'm excited to see the little, the sprinkle of Dalvin Cook instead of it being primarily focused on the backfield. So Justin Jefferson, I know Adam Thielen is maybe on, on like the decline. Uh, I guess people, some people could say, but hey, they brought in Jalen Rager, former first round pick. Maybe they can figure out how to use him, um, like how they, they didn't use him in Philly as well. Uh, you know, KJ Osborne, and they have Jalen Naylor, who is one of the fastest, I think one of the fastest wide receivers in the draft uh, this year. So I'm really excited to see how uh, Kevin O'Connell really turns this offense around and uh, makes them more explosive. Yeah, I, I'm excited about Minnesota as well. They're on my list, and for sure, for those reasons, it's for Thielen. It's fascinating because in his first, I think, in his first six years, he had 24 touchdowns as a receiver, and in the past two, he's had 24 touchdowns as a receiver. So even though his receiving yardage and and receptions have declined over the years, he's still been a reliable red zone threat. And I wonder. If, you know, with this offense, if they do some of the things that are maybe they borrow some of the things from what the Rams have done, you know, they maybe what we see is somebody playing that Cooper Cup red zone role. And I know that K.J. Osborne seems to me to be that guy who can probably do some of the blocking with his special teams background and being that guy who's motioned across the formation and used a little bit more on the wing. Um, if they spread things out that where they can use that kind of multiplicity of, of maybe using them in that capacity. But I wonder, I wonder if, if the guy who actually gets that kind of cup role in the red zone, isn't Thielen as opposed to, to, to Osborne in terms of, you know, 
someone who they they kind of use from the slot or use inside and and create some schemed looks or just you know one-on-one what Thielen does well as a route runner might not translate to that but um you know I also want you know that's that's definitely an offense that that fits the bill to me and and then and Miami is one that I'm excited about mm-hmm. you know just even if even if the Tua Tagovailoa um era doesn't continue to you know grow and blossom into into him being the type of player that people thought he could be coming out in the draft I you know adding Teron Armstead obviously adding those two receivers who were the you know with Waddle and and Hill being probably two of the fastest receivers in the league I'm just excited to see what they do with that and how it works right now because if this if they can deliver up front to just buy Tagovailoa time and they can establish a run game that even if it's you know 80%, 85% what San Francisco can do. Raheem Mostert is such a, a a smart back, he's such an accomplished back and I and obviously everyone's talking about Chase Edmonds and I understand why. I mean, he's got most of the preseason play, but just watching Mostert you know, in the preseason in small doses at the end of the preseason and seeing how he looked, that he looked ready to go. I think he's the best fit for that offense, obviously from experience, but also his speed and the nuance of his game to be able to set things up that I think that combination that both of them will work out well. But I think if as long as Mostert's healthy, what they're going to be able to do with all that speed on the field at one time is just going to be so much fun to watch, and so I'm excited to see if they can, if they can a stay healthy and the offensive line can really provide the the foundation for this offense to just explode. And if it does, they're going to be one of the more exciting offenses in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And like you mentioned, if Tua somehow maybe doesn't work out, I really liked what I saw from Skylar Thompson too. I think he's he's oh, a really yeah. viable quarterback. So. I think no matter what, they're definitely in a good position. Yeah, yeah. And I'll take this moment just to say, listen, Skylar Thompson was was the RSP pre-draft's number one quarterback in, in its pre-draft rankings. And so if you're interested in learning more about the rookie scouting portfolio, um, you know, it's been around since 2006. Um, I do both the pre-draft and post-draft guide and, and provide rankings and updates in a newsletter on a monthly basis. It's available for $21.95 at mattwaldman.com. And it is one of the most purchased draft guides by um, NFL scouts and personnel people as an independent cross-checking resource, at least according to college recruiters I've talked to, like Alex Brown at SMU, who is the recruiting director there and has worked at Houston and Rice and talked about that with me over the years and said that, you know, when he meets with these guys, that's what he sees. It's a great fantasy resource as well because... Listen, I try and gear it towards, you know, the majority of my audience, which are fantasy subscribers. So I try and do real football with a fantasy um, angle on in terms of how you can use this information in an actionable way. And of course, the RSP also does a projections and um, dynasty rankings. And that's a service available for twenty four ninety five at mattwaldman.com as well. And when you 
purchase that within 24 hours i send you access information so that you can download either the pdf or the excel spreadsheet and that's updated monthly with projections for every skill player on every team there's a tab for every team and i do two years worth of projections so you get the first you get first year and then you get a um a second look at the season as the season goes along i give you a look at the second year in terms of what i think of how things may work out or what their futures may look like a little bit you know as kind of an early peak um so again all of that available at mattwaldman.com and i donate a percentage up to five thousand dollars every year to darkness to light ddl.org is an organization devoted to preventing sexual abuse of children through training programs um and you know through you know either i know penn state has started um working with them michigan state's worked with them um certainly you know local local municipal organizations um you know individuals can get the training and the rsp has raised over sixty thousand dollars since 2012 um, for this organization and we're really proud of that so again you can find all that at mountwaldman.com um and Skylar Thompson, you know, I'm not afraid to take some chances. So, uh, yeah, I've been, I'm excited about him, too. I'm just trying to t keep it one step at a time without, like, losing my mind about seeing what he did this preseason because he was a <laughs> – he was a – he was one of those players when I when I graded him, I literally was like, oh, fuck me. I'm literally going to have to put this guy this high. And I know that he's not going to get drafted very high, but he's playing like a he, – he, he literally played like um, – you know, a top quarterback would, you know, coming out. And if he can, yeah. if he gets his shot, you know, I'm going to be excited to see if he can, if he can translate that poise to be even like three quarters as good as what he was in the preseason. If that happens, he's going to have a future. So. Yeah. That was the main thing I saw with him was that poise. Like, man, he was really just standing tall in there. And that's just like something that you don't really see, especially from like a third stringer. They, they kind of, you know, either not that they see ghosts that early, but they may be a little panicky. So I don't know. I just liked everything that I saw from him, and I didn't even. I never really dug into into quarterbacks this deep. Um, I was, you know, for for the draft, I was I was focused on a lot of the defensive side of the ball. Um, there were only a couple of running backs, um, but definitely on the wide receiver side. So when I saw Skylar Thompson, I was really surprised. So. Yeah, it's and that's kind of it was late in the year. I'm it was right before the senior bowl and and the uh shrine game that I had started watching him and I just thought, wow, this is just it's ridiculous that you know, I mean, I remember grading him thinking this is going to be a high grade, and then when I saw it, it was he was the highest graded quarterback I've watched in about three years. Um, and then I, I called a couple of you know people I know who within the league and some people out who've been in the league like Russ Landy um, and just asked, you know, I, I told them about what I thought and they were like, well, I'm going to have to watch him and see. And then the more we started talking about quarterbacks, it was funny because they were like, well, I talked to some people and then I talked to some more people as well. And they were like, everyone was all over the place on the quarterback class. But the one guy that I kept hearing was like, this guy I really like, I don't think he's going to get drafted, but a guy I'm, I really like is Skylar Thompson. They'd be all over the place with everybody else, but they quietly liked him. And for the reasons we saw on tape, layered throws, you know, the ability to avoid pressure in the pocket, um, the willingness to go downfield and make plays that are, um, that, you know, that were difficult in tight windows and there's mobility to his game. So we'll see if, you know, I like the fact too, that it's always a good sign to me. I don't know about you, but you know, Michael Thomas, when he came out with the saints, I remember 
he got on Twitter and literally was like talking about, he was literally messaging Drew Brees immediately and saying, let's get to work. And Cardale Jones at the time said that when he worked with Mike, Michael Thomas, that, uh, you know, as soon as he was becoming the starter, Michael Thomas early, like just uh, became like a shadow to him and was like, we're going to, I'm going to be basically hanging out with you as until we figure out uh, some level of rapport and connection, because it's necessary for me that we do this. And, yeah. and Carl Jones was like, I couldn't get rid of him. Like he goes, <laughs> I, and, and then he said, and he said this before the draft and then, and then of course he, he did that with Drew Brees. And, and then in contrast, a guy like Drew Locke, you know, Peyton, I found out from, you know, a friend of the show, C. Salami, that, that Drew Locke got opportunity from Peyton Manning to like, Peyton Manning said, like, anything you need, anything that I can do to, to, to help you with your acclimation, just let me know. And Drew Locke didn't take advantage of that for years until Teddy Bridgewater came to town and that was a competition for his job. And then he reached out to Peyton. And and in contrast, Skylar Thompson apparently got that opportunity with Dan Marino, and he took oh. Dan Marino up on it. And he had been working with Dan Marino every day from the time that he first arrived at minicamp. So, oh wow, that he, says a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, and Marino's an interesting cat because he will talk about. I remember him talking about quarterback play, and he he would say, you know, if if I were scouting quarterbacks. You know, I wouldn't be looking at most of the throws a lot of people would look at. I'd be looking at the types of plays where the pocket's not clean at all and he has to do things either off script or he has to do things where he has to integrate things and um, information in a really fast and unusual way to see how well he can process things that aren't necessarily rehearsed. Because to me, that's what's important about, that's what separates good starting quarterbacks from guys who are good prospects but never make it to that. And I've always remembered that from the you know, from back in the day. And I wonder if he didn't see a little bit of of him and and like what he saw. I don't know. It'll be interesting when they interview him one day to see if what he says about Skylar Thompson. Yeah, I'm sure somebody will, especially is that known that that him and Skylar were kind of a you know, somebody when when Skylar gets that opportunity, somebody's gonna call Dan and ask him for an interview about that for sure. Yeah, and we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what, that's kind of what I'm thinking. So, um, what about uh Gabriel Davis? Do you do you think he's an ascending star? Is he a good role player with just occasional yeah. strong production, or is or is he just vastly overhyped? Because he seems a little bit polarizing to a minority of the community, and then there's a lot of the community who are like, oh, he's gonna be great. No, I, I do think he's, I think he's going to be really good. I think he's ascending rather than, uh, you know, being overhyped. Uh, obviously, he's still a young player, but, you know, in the position, like a skilled position like wide receiver, you can, uh, you can be young and obviously uh, do really well. So um, he kind of reminds me of a tight end in a way where his, his body type uh, is big, uh, where it's it's a big contrast coming from the smaller DBs nowadays. Uh, yeah, the the corners are getting taller, but uh, the the you know the linebackers aren't really uh, aren't really as prevalent as what they used to be. So that hard hitting uh, type of mentality isn't really there. And and Gabriel Davis is a big player. 
you know, six two. Um, I didn't write down his weight, but you know, he has a big build. Uh, where he he's his weight is higher. Uh, when I looked at his spider chart, and you know, that was one of the things that stand out. Uh, that stood out to me. So I don't think he's overhyped. I think uh, because of his size, I wouldn't expect him to run by cornerbacks like he has uh, when he lines up out wide. He has decent hands. He when he's running through his when he's running through his stem, he can make a juke like at the top of his route uh, where he doesn't lose any speed. Uh, so the cornerbacks are kind of all they have to do is make one little adjustment, and he's he's blown right by them. And I think Josh Allen has the arm to uh, to pair well with Gabriel Davis' type of play. So, no, I think people should pay attention to him. Um, I think uh, him on the other side of Diggs is, uh, I think it's going to do wonders for Gabriel to get open even more. Um, and I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's, it's like, it's, I don't think his success last year in the playoffs should be overblown. Okay. That's interesting because, you know, the thing that you added about what he can do with one move, I'm going to have to take go back and take a look at that a little bit more because, you know, I, I felt like he was – I didn't think he was vastly overhyped, but I thought he's a good – he's a good contributing starter um, who can occasionally have a huge game because from what I saw in the playoffs, what I noted a lot was the – well, they played – you know, it seemed like they took on digs and um, – and Dawson Knox is like the first two reads in a lot of those looks where Davis would be the guy who was like getting the slow developing route down the middle of the field. And it seemed like, at least in the Chiefs game, the Chiefs seemed to be betting on let's let's stop Knox and Diggs as our two options. Um, and then if if we can get to Allen, he won't get to Davis. And that's... and. Allen didn't let them <laughs> get to him, and he found Davis multiple times in those situations. But that said, I remember watching Davis, you know, and I'm trying to remember, it was at, at, at Central Florida, I believe that's where he was mm -hmm. at. And, yeah. you know, he was that slow-developing vertical guy, which was that he had that top-end speed. It took him a little longer to get to that top end speed, but because of his size, it didn't matter. So, you know, adding that little wrinkle of, you know, someone with that size being able to make a move like that, you know, at the top of their stem and then be able to go downfield. And of course, he was a good ball winner. I mean, that was always a skill with him. And you put him in the middle of the field where you can break across and catch the ball, he's tough to bring down. So he's great mm -hmm. on digs and over routes in addition to some of the, you know, in, some of the perimeter deep routes. So I'm interested to see how he gets deployed um, because as that third option, do they keep him inside and put and, and keep and use Knox detached outside or they, I imagine they're going to switch him and Knox up in terms of where they align them on the field. Um, but then you throw in, you know, James Cook and I even, and I'm a big fan of Khalil Shakir. So I wonder, yeah. you know, eventually how he's going to get used. And I think, Shakir's a more sudden guy um, in terms of his speed. So I wonder how, you know, what could happen there with Davis. Does he stay the third option in this in progressions? Does he move up to being the number two guy and get some looks as the first, get enough looks as the first look in a lot of progressions this year? It's going to be fun to see because if he, if he does start getting first looks and proves that he can be, um, 
a little bit more of a um, ver a little more versatile with the with the route tree than what we've seen thus far. Yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah, I mean, he may not get those first looks because, like you're saying, you know, it, it does take a little bit for him to kind of kind of get going. Um, and it's just those little twitches that he'll do at the top of his route that really got, uh, you know, the corners last year. So I think maybe, you know, him on the perimeter uh, with those 50-50 balls, um, you know, which they didn't really seem like they were 50-50 last year. He was kind of out running guys and, and attacking safety. So, um, yeah, I think he's a, I think he's going to be a good perimeter guy. Yeah, I think so too. And, and I, it's just going to be fun to see how that evolves with, with the two guys that they have beyond Diggs and Allen, because I'm, I still think people kind of underrate Dawson Knox in terms of what he's ascending towards. He's a freakish yeah. athlete and you can tell that there's a trust factor between Allen and Knox in terms mm -hmm. of going up and winning the ball. And then of course, when you have threats like Davis, Knox and Diggs to to stretch that field, it, it just makes total sense why they would get James Cook underneath. Yeah, I mean, do you have the Bills going far? Um, like, I, I have them going almost all the way. Yeah. So, um, I have them against the Rams. Me uh, too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I no, no disagreement there. It's funny. I somebody asked about that on a on a um, on an AMA I did yesterday, and literally I said, "Well, of course, you know, I I've I was much." I'm I'm going to be as accurate as you know, probably guessing the the right lotto um, numbers, yeah. you know, with that. But <laughs> if I were to pick, it would be the Bills and Rams. That was definitely my uh, my choice as well. Um, so where where you, you know you you you've been known as being a Jaguars fan. So where are you with Travis Etienne and the Jaguars ground game? Whew. So yeah, you know. The, I've always had a little bit of a love for the Jaguars. My, my family hates it um, because they're they're all Eagles fans, um, so they always question. I'm like, look, you know, I was, I had a little bit of a a girly side growing up, even though I played football. But like, you know, I like the color teal. I love my favorite animal was a jaguar. <laughs> it all kind of went together, you right? Know? Um, but uh, but yeah, I I uh, I loved covering the Jaguars, and I love posting all of their clips like as much as possible because I love an underdog story right so I think this year is going to be that year for them to really obviously take the next step um one of my second offenses that are, are like that I'm right behind the Vikings that I discussed earlier the second one would be the Jaguars because I'm excited to see how Doug Peterson uses both uh Travis Etienne and James Robinson um, I think it was interesting how Peterson used two or three backs in 2017 when they went to the Super Bowl. You know, he's known for putting those uh, backs, uh, you know, in the flat. He's he's known for using a different back to go up the middle. Um, you know, he uses a lot of tight ends. So um, I think there's going to be, you know, a big uh, spread West Coast type of, uh, you know, uh, schematic there with that uh, Jaguars offense. I think ETN's going to be a really big part of that. Um, I think him and James Robinson are going to work really well together, and it's going to be a matter of who has the hot hand. Um, I don't think you could say, oh, ETN's number two, when, yeah, right now he is number two. Um, but there are a lot of times where James Robinson takes time to get going. 
that happened a lot in the in the last couple seasons where you know the first in the first quarter it's like this guy is nowhere to be found but he takes a little bit to get going you know two yards three yards at a time and then he'll bust one for 20. Um, but I think ETN is that guy that could possibly bust one finally for you know a touchdown the Jaguars don't they didn't they never had that um so I think that will get Travis Etienne even more touches. Uh, but I think all in all, they're going to be a really good one-two punch. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And what I'm, uh, you know, I think what's a lot of fantasy people are curious about with James Robinson is, you know, coming back from that Achilles injury. Because, you know, we, we've talked about other positions being able to return. Michael Crabtree returned and played pretty well for the Raiders coming off of an, uh, an Achilles tear when he was with the 49ers. So he was able to show some sustainability to his production after that. We've seen defensive um, ends be able to show um, ability to return from that type of an injury. But we really haven't seen running backs return to the level of potential or production that they've had in the past. Because, you know, we've had Donta Foreman who who has returned from that injury and he's he seemed like a guy who could be a terror coming out of texas and it just hasn't manifested it as anything more than a than really a compliment at at best and more of a reserve now that may be more about opportunity and the skittishness that the league has about running backs with achilles tears marlon mack you know got cut you know and really hasn't been really didn't get an opportunity after he got hurt and Jonathan Taylor started to ascend. Obviously, Taylor was a great prospect. But we just have, and we've got Akers and Robinson who are coming back from this, but we haven't yeah. seen, is the explosion going to be there? One theory that people ask about, and I want to ask you, because for those of you who don't know, I mean, Lori played running back um, and was a very good one. Um, and, you know, I know Emery Hunt used to cover her the league that she was mm -hmm. in and you know and there's definitely highlights you can find of, of Lori playing so when you I'm just curious with with a guy like Robinson he was known to be quick short area quickness short area burst yeah. but then that explosion was there but he didn't have top end speed yeah I know I hear people say well maybe with the Achilles tear it's not going to be as big of a deal because he didn't rely on speed, but I'm thinking he relied on short area explosion. And yeah. to me, that's more vital for an Achilles, you know, for Achilles to be healthy than you know, sustaining speed. Exactly. Um, I am a little worried uh, when you mentioned Cam Akers as well. It's like, we didn't really get to see a lot of him when he came back. Um, you know, and maybe part of that was, was he ready? Uh, and that's a big, that's, really the same concern that I have for James Robinson. I'm watching some of these practices where he doesn't seem like he's putting all of his like weight. Not I can't say weight because then he wouldn't even be close to 80% if you're not putting weight on it. He's definitely putting weight on it, but it seemed like there's a little bit of a favorite favoritism there. And that's just something that your body like unconsciously does. So like, I don't even think he's trying to do it. I just feel like his running isn't as like he's not as light on his feet i guess you could say as he used to be it just seems like maybe there's something that isn't really quite right he i don't i just don't know if he's 100 percent. i think that travis Etienne finally being healthy is kind of lit a fire under him to get like to be available for week one 
he's I think he's afraid of kind of losing that spot, and that's because he was an undrafted free agent, yeah. and he got an opportunity. He took advantage of it, and I think there's a part of him that doesn't want to get left behind if ETN decides to step up. Um, and you know that being said, I think he's kind of pushing it a little bit. Um, we're gonna see if if uh, if he's truly ready, but I think it's it's really interesting. Uh, you know what you say about the Achilles and and how that kind of fits in his skill set being yeah that top end speed that's not even where the Achilles is is used as much as as it's used when when kind of coming off of your back foot and using that explosion uh that you know he seems to centralize his game around and when he's like kind of leaning into those defenders and and uh you know making his uh, his debut on um, his, uh, you know, that Good Morning Football. Man, what is that? Uh, you know, when you when you run guys over, oh, and when you truck them, name. you know. But, yeah, like the the the, the trucking segment. Uh, man, I'm gonna punch myself when I remember this after this uh, podcast. But you know, when he's making his debut on on that segment, and it's like it seems like he's using that Achilles tendon more than anything because he's kind of you know he's lowering his shoulder and and it's just. It centralizes around his game, so I don't want to say like I'm worried, but it's definitely a concern uh, of how quickly he's coming back from this. I think yeah. he should take a little bit more time. Like week three, I think would be the perfect time for him to come back. But I guess you know we're gonna see. Yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna see how that works. And I think it's a great point you make about just the mental side of it. Is that you know it's that it's a subconscious thing that he's that he's not you know that's why compensatory injuries happen. Like my buddy, Gene Bramwell over at football guys, who's a doctor who will talk about, who talks about injuries a lot. will say that the most common thing that happens with major surgeries, especially to, to anything to do with a leg injury um, or major rehab is that the body just, you, the mind doesn't deep inside. You don't trust what your body can do yet. And you, and you compensate on one side to the point that you can end up getting soft tissue injuries early on in your in your return to the field because you don't psychologically trust what mm -hmm. you used to be able to do and you and it's and obviously you trust it enough to be on the field like you said i mean you said it perfectly so is you know is he going to go through that stage of having some muscle you know muscle strains mm -hmm. muscle pulls um that's or an ankle sprain or something that slows him yeah. down and and it's so funny that you mentioned the whole mental side um and i think it it plays a like i think it pay, play, pay, plays heavily into uh into like him coming back because he's i think deep down he you know he's seriously thinking like dang i, I really need to come back um but it's funny because my, my one of my best friends tore her Achilles she was just walking up steps right yeah. and she like stepped wrong and she, you know, it tore, and she's not an athlete at all, right? But the mental side of her now, she she came to me, she's like, hey, Laurie, like, I know you, obviously you played a ton of sports. She's like, now she can't take her heel and go on her toes from her heel. Yeah. She's like, my body isn't letting me. Like, I don't think that, like, it's healing right. And she went to the doctor, and she was like, hey, like, or the physical therapist, like, hey, like, I don't think that the doctor did a, did a good job. And he's like, the doc, the physical therapist is like, you know, that's mental, right? Like your body isn't allowing you to do that. He's like, you're fine. But you're, you're like, your mind doesn't give your body the power to do what like you want it to do because it's, it's a little scared. Yeah. 
And like, that's a thing. And it's not just, you know, non-athletes that that happens. It happens to athletes as well. You know, I was playing softball and I, I, I tore my elbow. I, it, um, it dislocated and I was kind of afraid to, to make diving catches in the outfield, even though like there was nothing wrong with me. I was 100% healed and, and I didn't have anything about worrying about losing my position like James Robinson does, you know, but he has to realize that, uh, Doug Peterson isn't going to single out one running back. He's not a one running back type of coach anyway. Uh, so I think he should just take his time and I think that it'll all come together. Yeah. And I think that you, you know, bringing up the fact that he's a late round pick and probably feels like he's got to hold on to that makes total sense. And yeah, I'm with you. I mean, my wife tore her Achilles and she was an athlete and I've talked about, about, and I'll share this story one more time. I've, it, is that, you know, she was a, she was a hundred meter sprinter and a, and a, and a long jumper. And she had been, she was her, her, she always would, she always likes me to say this. So I will say that, that her normal times were 1102, 1103 in the 100, which was like around Marion Jones's best times. But she did that back in like 1987, 88. Yeah. And, but her best time that she doesn't like me to say was um, 10, 7, 8, which was Jackie Joyner Kersey won the IAAF a year later oh, wow. with that time. So, but my wife was like a bad starter. She smoked a pack a day, even back then. Um, she's short, she's slew footed, and all the women that she would face would laugh at her when she'd get to the blocks. And then they, and she was again being a slow starter by the end of the, the run by the end of the sprint they would feel her tailwind i mean she she was fast and she was when i met her i mean we met in our mid-30s she was still like fast i mean like she could still mm -hmm. run and she tore achilles a few years after that just standing up like her it just popped and, <sighs> and she didn't know what and i remember she called me up at work and she's like she she's like i think i did something i can't walk like i fell down trying to stand up and I'm like, I had to crawl to the couch and I go, did you hear something that sounded like a gunshot when you stood up? She's like, yeah. I said, don't like, how move. How did you know? I'm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I said, come, I'm coming home. So we, we get her, we get her to the emergency room. Um, it's a, it's a slight tear. They decide not to perform surgery. They put her in a boot. Three days later, she takes the boot off and is walking on it without a boot because she's tired of the boot. And I'm, and they tell me, well, you better make sure, you know, she's, I'd be careful. She's still doing that. And I'm having to give her the, the, the deep tissue massage on her leg, which they were like, you know, make her cry, basically make her cry doing this. So daily I'm massaging, the, you know, her leg mm -hmm. and she's literally like, it's awful. And so like in the mornings she would wake up for a couple of years and it would always still be kind of stiff. And she, she said mm -hmm. it was like they're. You know, she was one, and then like a, a couple years after that, she thought maybe she was still having issues. So we went to an orthopedic a sports therapist and an orthopedic surgeon, and he examined it and he goes, "This is one of the cleanest heels of an Achilles I've ever seen. It's perfect. It's as perfect <laughs> as it's ever going to get." He goes, "The problem you have is you have a genetic condition where your ligaments are too short for your ankles, and." And what? my my and her my father in law has the same condition, but he goes, yeah, he Man. goes, he goes, you probably didn't. He goes, he starts telling her all about it. And he goes, it's rare. He goes, 
you probably never ran or like did anything athletic in terms of athletics. He goes, you look like you're in good shape because my wife's built like a radiator. Okay. Like she's, she's, yeah. she's muscular and like, um, <laughs> you, you know, she's got like Serena Williams built literally like that's how yeah. she's built. So she, um, you, you know, and her, her, her cut, her second cousin's DJ Ford. So like there's athletes in her family. Phil Ford is the, the bas former basketball player is, is her cousin as well. So they're like, he's like, you probably never played athletic, you know, really did anything seriously with athletics. So then she explains to him what she did in high school. And he literally looked at her for like 30 seconds and didn't say a word and then just shook his head. And he goes, I really have no idea how on earth you did anything remotely like that. Yeah, with Damn, she probably wouldn't have been a, a slow starter if she had longer ligaments. Probably not. You know, <laughs> that's exactly it, you know, because and she had that like I just as a joke, I was never fast. I mean, like I could run for distance, but I was never fast. But when we were both in shape and we had met and I we were walking one day and I said, I just want to let's let's race like we were racing down a driveway. Come and on, like, oh, yeah, just <laughs> I just wanted to see how fast she was because it was just she, you know, she talk about it occasionally but didn't bring it up. So I just wanted to see. And yeah, like it, it was hilarious. It was like watching, it was like watching the road runner and the coyote. It, it was mm -hmm. like that. It, and then of course she, she pulled a muscle about three quarters of the way through. And then I just ran past her and I came back to see if she was okay. But I joked, I said, well, I won. Cause you know, you I know. knew you were going to say yeah, that. But I no, won. she, she whipped me, she whipped me. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but who do you think, you know, in the league is going to surprise us? with their performance that we haven't seen really, you know, stand out just yet. So there was a couple guys that came to mind. Um, but, uh, there was one guy who I just, I just thought that so far his, you know, performances that I've seen in practice have been, uh, just shown that like how much he stepped up, stepped up, um, is uh, Brandon Ayuk or Ayuk? Yeah, uh, number eleven from uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Man, I think he's really going to be a—he's going to have a breakout season. You agree? You, you see what I see here with him? I mean, certainly the guy—you know—to me, I think the ability is there for sure. I mean, what he does at the, what he can do after the catch, the speed that he has, the, you know, the size that he has to, and to get open on a lot of the quick hitting routes and then the double moves off of those routes. Uh, you know, if Trey Lance and him really do have that connection, especially in the vertical game, I think that's where he could really shine because I love Debo Samuel's game and he has definitely developed into a better route runner and he is, and he's getting, but he's not unbelievable as a press release guy, at least from what I've seen thus far. And I, maybe I need to take a second look. But I always thought that his vertical game was okay to good, but not great. And I think I could be that guy for Lance. And Lance doesn't seem to be have any have any fear about attacking in the vertical game at all. And because of the fact that he can buy time, I mean, I think. I could see Samuel being the guy who wins the vertical routes because Lance bought time. Whereas I yeah. think with Ayuk, Ayuk can just win them straight up. And I and I think that that's mm -hmm. where he could possibly shine. And if that happens, Trey Lance could be a 4,500, 4,800-yard quarterback this year if both of those guys just hit, you know, along with Kittle. Because it, it's really just up to the quarterback to be able to support 
those options because those options can do it with that with the right passer. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, let's see. I mean, for me, I think a guy that if I were to go, I think Rondale Moore is going to get a shot. I think this is the year that that Moore's Cliff Kingsbury said, "Listen, we didn't use him enough. I that's on me." Um, and looking at the fact that Hopkins is going to be out for a little while, AJ Green certainly had a nice season for an older player who people wrote off. But I don't think it—I don't think he's going to build on that and return to the glory days of his of yesteryear for him. Yeah. And and then you know, Ertz is a nice player, um, but I think Moore's that type of guy that you can use inside and out. Um, mm -hmm. and they, I think they need someone that they're going to be able to lean on. Um, and certainly Marquise Brown looks like that option for sure that, that, you know, they have a rapport there, but I could see as a, as a part of that, you know, using the check down and, you know, early scheme plays down, you know, in the shallow range of the field, as well as what he can do vertically. I wouldn't be surprised if we see more flirt with a thousand yards this year. Um, yeah. And they, they lost, you know, Christian Kirk too. So I think, Obviously, somebody is going to have to step up, um, and I think you know Randall Rondell Moore is that guy. I'm just I'm a little I'm still a little nervous about Kyler Murray. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they did amazing during the season, um, but you know it all comes down to you know how you perform in the playoffs. So I think they're going to have to make uh, some adjustments to figure out you know how they can carry that momentum into into the postseason. Yeah, I can get with that. And and the same thing with the thing that always makes me nervous, nervous about Murray was that he's one of those guys that he's great at buying time outside the pocket or making the one dynamic move when pressure arrives. And he'll buy a lot of space quickly. But when you're in a crowded pocket, it doesn't work well because he's that guy. You know, you think of Tom Brady as a great pocket maneuverer, but not a, a mobile guy. And if mm -hmm. he could, but, and Russell Wilson's the same way. Russell Wilson can do what Kyler does, maybe not as explosively, but yeah. he can get outside. But when he needs to make that small move to avoid pressure so that he doesn't run himself into additional pressure, he can do it. Kyler hasn't shown that yet. Kyler's more of a, as soon as the he sees the flash of color, the head yeah. goes down sometimes, the ball goes out, he makes mm -hmm. a, a Vic-like, you know, lateral move that takes him three yards in one direction but then he has to reorient himself and isn't going to access that quickly and that forces players to have to work harder to to reroute rather than him being able to maybe find the easy second window with just one little sidestep and then the ball's out and he just doesn't have that sidestep ball out area of the game and i think when you start to face tougher competition that can really you know, compress the pocket, it's harder to find that escape route with one dynamic move. And I think those types of things hurt him. Um, what do you make of the the whole thing this summer about the, the clause of him not being able, you know, needing to study more film in a certain amount? Is it is it overblown? Is there something to it? I mean, somewhere in between, Where, what are you thinking? Uh, I don't... <sighs> I do not think it's overblown. And I usually say that, like, things are overblown because, you know, it's a slow news day or, like, what else do you have going on? But, no, I think I think some of the, like, some of the things that happen directly reflect that being a thing. So, like, he, they, 
they they allowed Kyler Murray to like call the plays in preseason. Like, do you remember that? Don't you think that those two things were related? The fact that like he doesn't watch film and maybe he questioned the play caller. Like, come on, I don't like. I am so good at this game. Maybe not word for word like this, right. but like you know, I'm. I think like I'm okay. Like I know what I'm doing. Like I watch enough film. Like, it's the play calls that you guys are calling. Like, it's not me that has to do, oh, yeah, you think it's so easy? Well, how about you do it then? And I think all of those things are related. Like, if, yeah. if I'm being honest, sometimes it's like, it is what you think it is. You know, yeah. uh, you walk like a duck, sound like a duck, you know, you're a duck, right? So <laughs> I think that is that. Like, so, um, and, you know, I, I don't really remember how that ended up playing out, like, he didn't do too well calling the plays, right? Didn't he come out saying like, "Oh man, I really respect those guys a lot more now." Yeah, yeah. Like, obviously. Um, Not every you know, time I see Kyler Murray and he doesn't make a play, I'm going to hear quack in my head. I'm like, <laughs> you so know, <laughs> but but yeah, but I'm with you. It's a, and I think that there's something to that that you can you can be happy with the player overall and know that you have a good quarterback who could be a lot better. And you and you expect them to be better, and that you 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 know, and you're going to put those expectations out there, and then somebody leaked that is probably drama, and and it turned into a bigger drama than they needed it to be, um, but but long term it might be the reason why, you know, I mean, it, these are the types of situations if it doesn't play out, coaches and GMs might find themselves in you know out of work. And Kyler Murray might still ha be playing out a contract at that point. Um, so it's a, I, I'm with you. I, I think that he's a, he's good enough to, to be a dynamic producer, but is he good enough to, to make this team get where they want to go? And that's a, that, that's a totally different situation. So can, can they, can they win with him or because of him type of, Yes. Good question, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly, exactly. So what you know, speaking of that, where do you stand on the preseason and training camp as an indicator of performance for individuals? Because we see things like a, a good example for me that I just I'm gonna kick off with is like Romeo Dobbs, the the rookie out of Nevada. He may turn into a very good player with the Packers. And when Aaron Rodgers said he just makes you know, he, he was just making like a wild play or whatever he said, a wild play. It seemed like every day he would come up with a play like that. That's what he said in the first two to three weeks of camp. And then you watch him against San Francisco. And yeah, he burned some cornerbacks, had some big plays, made some tough catches. But some of those tough catches were tough because of what he did um, to to try and, you know, attack the ball. He fought the ball a bit. He had a ball pulled away because he didn't position himself well. And to be honest, that was what I saw in his scout in my scouting report of him was that he looked great all the way up to the catch point and then positioning with his hands and his body were inconsistent and it might take him a little bit of time. And then on top of that, you have to ask about the acclimation period that young players have when they have to make route adjustments at the line of scrimmage. And you know, the the better the quarterback is, the more often you're going to see route adjustments based on what the defense is doing and the receiver has to be on the same page with that passer. And the better that passer is, the more the 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 more um the more the the passer is able to read of the defense to make those adjustments, which makes mm -hmm. the it demands more of the receiver. 
So lo and behold, last week of training camp, when everyone, all the, the beat writers I was reading, not all of them, but some beat writers that I was reading were like, Sammy Watkins might not make the team. Um, next thing we're known, we're hearing Aaron Rodgers say, these young receivers aren't going to get much playing time if they stop, if they continue making mistakes. You know, he doesn't talk about the mistakes because, you know, most of the time when you're asking guys in a press conference about things, you're not going to be talking about in detail about what route you're going to go to with a specific type of coverage look. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, but that's what you can read into it is that when Sammy Watkins starts making plays in camp, it's around that time when, you know, you're leaning more on the adjustments and not just the one-on-one -on -one value that you see in, in you know, one-on-ones or seven-on-sevens or, or things where you see a wild catch where it's based on that, you know, one-on-one -on -one matchup where, you know, the, the, the scrimmages and the, and the preseason, you're starting to see more on, are they reading the coverage the same way as Aaron Rodgers? So for me, that's when I look at indicator of performance for say wide receivers, that's an important thing is can they read, make the same reads? And we're not going to really see that till the regular season. So to me, I'd be more surprised if Romeo Dubs continues making those plays consistently enough to be a starter this year, maybe next year. Whereas, you know, but everyone's like, he made wild plays in camp. Yeah. I mean, you're right. They, they, he made a lot of wow plays. That was the quote, you know, the, he, he made a wow play once a day. Um, and I agree with you where, you know, it's, it's more about those, those option routes, right? You know, can you read the shade that the cornerback is in? So you know, which option route to go with, like, are you and the quarterback on the same page? Because everybody, anybody can win one on one if you practice your releases every day. Um, that doesn't make you a starting NFL football player, right? Or a wide receiver, I should say. Um, it's about your rapport with the wide receiver. You know, are you guys on the same page? Um, <clears throat> and like to kind of answer your question about, um, you know, is preseason indicator uh, of performance? Where yes and no. Um, I think that it's it's like yes in terms of. Uh, like, yes, for the depth of the team, uh, but no in terms of uh, starting. So, like, those starting players, uh, preseason probably isn't going to be the indicator. Like, if, if a player doesn't do well in preseason, um, that's a starter. If a starter doesn't do well, it doesn't mean that he's going to do terrible during the season. Um, but if a depth player plays well in the preseason, um, I think there is a that's a, a good leeway to him maybe getting more reps. So I think, if anything, it, it helps with the depth. But I still think preseason is necessary for all of the players. And it's because, like, this is, you know, teams are trying to build dynasties. Like, franchises are trying to, um, they're trying, they're playing chess, right? They're not, they're not focused on just one year. They're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to be their wide receiver in, you know, not next year, but the year after. So I think, um, you know, and I think it's necessary. And it's because, like, when I remember playing even basketball, like, when you're practicing, there is no pressure, you know. But when you're in the game, and we didn't have, like, a ton of a ton of fans that came to our games, uh, like, as women basketball players, even if we were better than the men, they were still coming to the men's games, right? But our games were first. So the fans would always come in and fill the stadium to get the best seats for the men's game. 
but there was still a lot of pressure when you would go in and start and there was a point like where I, when I was like a freshman or sophomore going in there, my legs like didn't work because yeah. of like how crazy amount of pressure that there is and the lights are on. So I think those preseason games are very important. Um, so like I'm not on the side where like let's completely eliminate them. Um, obviously injuries happen, but I think it's going to happen either way. Uh, you know, no matter it's like the movie Time Machine. It doesn't matter what you do. The outcome is still going to be the same. So. Um, I think preseason is necessary, um, but more necessary for the depth. And I think it's more of a, of an indicator of of the depth, you know, when it comes to performance of those individuals. No, I think it's a great point. And if I could have paid you to to talk about the pressure that comes with performing on the stage, <laughs> I would I would have, you know, <laughs> I mean, because that it's such a it's a point I love to harp on all the time is that it is different. It's just different it really out is. there. Yeah, and so, but and but to like, say, how do you perform in the moment, right? In the moment when it counts, when the lights are on, it's not the same when you're in practice doing a two-minute drill. It's just not. Yeah, yeah, because you, you're you're playing when you're playing with your teammates. It's friends. Once you've once you've worked on that, you've had such a rapport. You're comfortable. You're psychologically comfortable with all the people that you're playing against, and you know mm -hmm. them well. And you're not going to second guess anything. But then when you're when you're playing a new opponent and people are watching and you know and especially if you know that this that your performance is dictating whether people are going to be able to pay their mortgage, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, that's a different kind of pressure. And some of these yeah. people aren't, you know, they don't care whether you're friends with them in camp or not. What they care about is am I going to get my bonus at the end of the season? Are we going to be able to get to the playoffs? Are we, you know, am I is your play going to cost me an opportunity to stay with this team. You know, those, mm -hmm. those are things that can be interconnected. So, you, you know, I love that. And it is about, you know, it is definitely about the roster and formation of the roster and, the, and what the team can expect down the line. Because, I mean, a good example of a player, we combined maybe the last two questions, is mm -hmm. who, yeah. you know... Um, like who you know, has impressed you? Who's impressed us? You know, like Isaiah Likely, I hear people talking about him all the time. Um, mm -hmm. And 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 then Mark Andrews comes out. And like the, yesterday when I did this AMA, literally people, I had to look up what was going on because I I got like five questions about Isaiah Likely and I'm going, what? who said something about Isaiah Likely? I know that he's performed well in camp. And then Mark Andrews comes out and is saying like, he's a willing blocker. He, I think he's going to shock people at how good he's going to be this year. And, mm -hmm. but I think about that and I, and I, and I wonder, it's like, they're teammates and you see him do impressive things. There's a difference between Mark Andrews as a tight end and Mark Andrews coaching tight ends or Mark <laughs> Andrews being an evaluator of players. Like, cause when we watch like the, you know, the NFL top 100, the thing that I always got from that was like, I always joked with like Mark when we do this show, I go, football players, I always feel like they get overly impressed with athletic ability to the point where they're like, you know, if I'm going to make make fun of it, it's and they're not this way because there's a ton of smart football players out there. Most of them are very intelligent to play the game. But I feel like that the analysis for is like, Ugh, he's fast. Ugh, he's strong. Ooh, he's so quick. You're, and, you're a hype man, you know? Yeah, yeah. They're all hype men. Yeah. They get excited. They love the game. So when somebody does something well, they're going to over-exaggerate it. They're going to be like, oh, man, like, this is blah, blah. And 
it, it also maybe pumps their teammate up to do better too. You know, yeah. it, it it all depends. But yeah, yeah or, or and very rarely, like you'll see the like the top players is the ones you I like to see interviewed when they talk about another player because the top players tend to go like the you know get into the details and then they start saying well it's really this detail that sets this guy apart and it's something that nobody else talked about but then it's sandwiched in between fast strong big ooh so big so fast so strong and i'm just like please i'm bored already like you, you yeah. know it's like everyone's that way here and you're going to say that cuz you don't want to be you know you, you don't want to be critical and i get that so so yeah i mean isaiah likely is an example of that like i wonder about or or then you look at Josh Jacobs, you know, is Josh, you know, what happened in the, in the preseason game? Do you, do you buy into the idea that, that Zamir White is, is happening now to the extent that Josh Jacobs is going to be in the background? Or is it more of a Josh McDaniels truly just wanted to see what he had and, and, and give, and give Jacobs an opportunity to play real reps early on. Um, I don't know. I mean, we rarely see that type of thing. So you know, what do you think of a something like with Jacobs? Do you think that that's a, do you think that that was a, a bad thing for him? Or do you think it's more of a like, no, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I would say it's, it's not that big of a deal yet. Uh, but I think, I think it could be because we, you know, we both really like running backs, right? right. We know that if there's one position to break out, like as a rookie, the running back can be the position because they're the most physical. They're used to the speed of the game. They're used to obviously like being hit. Um, and so I think uh, they only decline with time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think if, uh, if they give Zamir a chance, uh, you know, I, I know I do, I do think Zamir could, could break out. Um, but you know, Jacobs is pretty good. So, <laughs> Yeah, it, it it'll it'll be tough to to kind of like completely take his position. But yeah, I, I definitely see how he could make inroads. I agree with you on that. I think it's one of those things that it's going to be fun to see how it plays out because I truly don't know. Like, there's times I kind of take chances and think, you know, from a fantasy perspective, I'll take some Josh Jacobs and just say I'm going to go against the go against the grain because I think he's still I still think he's a very talented player. But at the yeah. same time, I can understand if the team favors White it could happen. So, so let's end this this way. You, you know, how did you get into breaking down tape and what advice would you give to those who want to get started doing it? So I got started, um, after I stopped playing football, uh, you know, I was working a full-time job and, uh, you know, I hated, I hated it, hating <laughs> sitting at a desk. Um, you know, I would, uh, I would, I would use a lot of those hours uh, at my desk actually watching film. Um, and I don't know if it's because, like, I was a female or anything like that. But, I mean, I would hope not. And I would hope that it was just like, damn, what she's saying is right. But I would just start posting on Twitter um, usually individual uh, things that were happening. Uh, like, if, if somebody questioned, like, a play call, um, I would go to the film and point out, the play call was right, but this player didn't get off the line of scrimmage. Like, he got bullied by by the cornerback who's, you know, almost like 50 pounds lighter than him. Um, but he, he couldn't even get off the line. His release sucked. Like, he, 
you know, he did this with his feet or he did this with his hands or he didn't separate enough. And I just started pointing out those little things um, on those big plays that majority of America or the world questioned. You know, like, why would this guy do that? But if you go back and watch the game, um, you know, and maybe watch the All-22, uh, this defender was going this way that whole time when they when they made that play call. Uh, so, you know, of course you're going to go to the other side because every single time he went to the right. You know, so it's just kind of, it was always kind of pointing out those, uh, those like nuances, I guess, uh, that were happening like throughout games. Um, but I would try to stick to like maybe one drive or one play uh, to kind of point out everything. And I'd say the, the key for me, uh, which not a lot of like programs have, I guess you could say, um, is the slow motion. I think using slow motion and just watching a play like four times, five times, like, and just watching one player, but in slow motion, rewind it, slow motion, play it back, you know? Um, I think that's, that was like really the key for me um, because like everything happens so fast. Uh, and just like one hand placement could dictate whether that play was busted or not, you know? So um, definitely like, you know, trying to cartmentalizing, I guess, uh, a big game into little segments or just uh, one drive or even just one play and watching that in slow motion, uh, I think like really helped me out a lot. And uh, just to add to that, what, what you were talking about earlier with the whiteboard, really drawing it out helps too. So Yeah. And it's like, and, and it was same thing for me. It was like, it really was compartmentalizing it to one player and just watching over and over and over again. And, and it's one of those things that, I mean, I, I laugh cause my wife goes, you know, I'd like to make a video of like why, why people won't watch football with you, like, or wouldn't <laughs> want to watch football with you. Or people will. Yeah. Or people. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. that's my case, but yeah. not a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People will want to watch it with you, but like the 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 difference between people wanting to watch football with you, who who say that, and then then they do watch it, yeah. and then they realize, no, nah, I really don't. And that's kind of more like her story with it. But it's like because like yeah. Russ Landy tells the story very well. He's he's told the story about how somebody asked him he wanted to be a scout, and you know said, can I can I watch some games with you and learn? He said. Sure, meet me. You know, meet me at eight eight a.m. Saturday. We're gonna come over to my house. We're gonna watch. We're gonna watch some tape of this Michigan State lineman. Okay, gets there. Guys, all excited. By noon, the guys like you know. Fall so asleep, I'm probably. getting kind of yeah. He's like I'm hungry. He goes I'm getting kind of hungry. hungry. He's yeah. He goes like I'm getting kind of hungry. He's like you want to go grab some lunch and and yeah. Russ is like well I got a sandwich in the fridge you know and I because I can make you one too if you want. He goes, but I got to stay here because I got like three more games to watch of this guy. And we're, we're just into the first half of this guy. Yeah. And the guy's like, yeah, I think I'm done. I, this isn't for me. Like it's a totally different aspect of it, but it is that it is that minute detail that you mentioned, you know, looking at, looking at it over and over again, because the more you start to, to do that, the easier it is to see it over time, but it takes that grunt work to 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 really begin to see those things and even if you've been doing it for 20 years there's things that you're going to have to replay five six seven eight nine times to, to see it yeah no definitely that's why the the slow motion even though you know obviously it's going to take more time away from your day <laughs> but uh you know on that fourth time you may finally see what you've been looking for yeah uh, so 
it, it takes time. It's definitely time consuming. My eyes have gotten really dry. I might have chronic dry eye syndrome now. Uh, and, you know, I try to put on more glasses that have that blue tint uh, because these contacts, man, they, uh, you know, you, you will get dry eyes uh, just because you're sitting in front of the screen uh, for so long, kind of staring at it and looking. And you feel like the closer you get, the, the easier you could see, but the worse it is for your health. So just, uh, you know. I remember the hydrate. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I've joked, um, Dwayne McFarlane, who's been a frequent guest on this show, when he started writing at PFF, he had a, a piece that was a longer piece, and he'd go, man, he goes, have you ever, like, have you ever had, like, a point where your eyes just, like, the strain is just so bad that, like, now they're, like, blurry, like, and, and you get dry. And I'm like, yeah, I joke that it, I, it's, like, my private joke that I've blown a tire, basically, when I've, like, do, done that, and I find that, Mm -hmm. I've had to do some things where I'm writing, where I like, I've, I've had to, you know, usually that's when you make sure you get a rest. But for me, what I found that's crazy is like you said, leaning in like that is I had to fix my posture this entire summer. So, because I was getting an impingement in my shoulder where like when I would run, I would literally feel pain shooting down my elbow because I wasn't sitting up straight because I'd spent mm -hmm. so much time leaning and mm -hmm. slouching looking at something for a long period of time so like i've had to like literally focus on um having good posture again so that i didn't yeah. have any pain and it took me a couple months to 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 work through that and i laughed because ryan riddle who's a friend of the show who's a former nfl player when he first started doing some writing he wrote at bleacher report we were hanging out one time when i got to meet him in california and he was like he goes, I never got hurt on the field. And he was a, you know, he was a sack leader at, at Cal and played in the NFL as a defensive end and linebacker. He goes, I never got hurt in the NFL. He goes, he goes, I got, I dealt with more pain and injury, you know, writing than I did actually played in the league. He goes, no, yeah. I, I got hit a lot harder, but you know, but it was yeah. like, it was, a, he laughed about that. So, I mean, it's, it's, it is important that if you do get started in this, that you make sure that you you hydrate take care of your eyes take some breaks from the screen get a good chair get a good chair and and stand up stand up mm -hmm. some and 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 make sure you you keep your posture good and stretch because um yeah it, it it'll mess you up in other ways but uh one thing that definitely wasn't messed up was getting a chance to do a show with you talking about these players we're going to be doing it every other week um throughout the season you know having our thoughts about what we see with the NFL. You can find Lori Fitzpatrick at Lori Fitzpatrick, just as it's spelled on the screen. Or if you're listening to a podcast, L-A-U-R-I-E-F-I-T-Z-P-T-R-C-K on Twitter. You can find her there. And also, of course, at TD Wire with the work that she and Doug Farrar do over there. You guys take care. Have a great week.